welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, welcome to episode 54 of the OCR Underground Show, your best resource for smarter OCR training. I am your host, Mike Diebler, and thank you as always for tuning in today. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, you can go to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 54. Well, this is actually a special episode. Um, I got a, this is probably one of the fastest turnarounds I've got from uh, interviews to editing. Uh, so if there are any, any mistakes or stuff I messed up with editing, I do apologize, but I wanted to get this out quickly because we have a, a special episode on the Ultra Beast. So we're doing all Ultra Beast. I have not run an Ultra Beast myself. I've helped a couple people train for it and I just haven't, I haven't taken the plunge yet and I'm getting close. It's something I'm definitely, I, I'm going to do at some point. I'm getting closer and closer. It's something I want to do with my wife and kind of got to get her on board as well. Um, but this is, it's something that you, you can't take lightly if, if you want to compete and, and if you really just want to finish. So I'm, I'm on the fence when I'm actually going to do it, but I'm getting closer and closer. And I, you know, probably just need a little bit of a push. But I got three elite coaches on the podcast to help you guys out and maybe push me over the edge to, to earn my belt buckle. So if the idea of going 30 plus miles and a ton of obstacles does get you excited, then you will not be disappointed by this episode. And uh, you're gonna learn a ton. Uh, and you know, the reason I wanted to get this out so quickly was because there's a lot of Ultra Beasts coming up shortly with uh, Killington and Tahoe. So sure, this probably isn't out in time for you to make any drastic training changes, but hopefully you can at least pick up some last minute tips uh, to help you prep for for your big race or at least for next year to uh, to plan ahead and um, do even better than, than you did this year. Um, so on this episode, I have three awesome coaches. First up is CJ Wagner from uh, Misfit Strength and Conditioning. I also have Mike King from King's Camp and Fitness. And then finally, Gary Lombardo from Ascend Sports Conditioning. So these guys were awesome. They dropped some serious knowledge bombs. I know I picked up some great tips, uh, the things I'm definitely going to include in my own training and also with, with my clients. And I, I know you guys are going to get a ton out of this. So they each kind of went through and, and went over their big stuff that they would really focus on with, with nutrition, with, uh, with the physical side of it, with running, with strength training, uh, with the mental, right? I, I, that comes up a lot where really preparing yourself for that pain that you're mentally going to go through and, and wanting to quit and how to break through that. So uh, the, these guys did an incredible job. And I know you guys are going to love this episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, hopefully this, uh, if you are on the fence and still thinking about signing up, hopefully this will get you uh, excited about it and, and maybe put you over the edge. So uh, let's actually just get right into the interviews. All right. Well, I am here up with uh, CJ Wagner. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yourself? Uh, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. So we're doing a little special podcast for this episode and we're doing all on the ultra beast and i this is one thing i've just gotten a ton of questions on and i wanted to reach out and get some other coaches perspectives because it's i haven't taken that leap yet and uh, and hit the course i know it's something i plan on doing but i i still am getting questions and i want to provide as much 
information to people as possible. So thanks so much for coming on today and sharing some, some of your knowledge on this topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's get into uh, real quick. Uh, let our listeners know, you know, you've been on our podcast doing a couple of race recaps. Um, but if you don't mind, a, a quick little bio, who you are, and um, just a little bit about your experience with Ultra Beast. Yeah. So uh, actually, I've been training since 2011 down here in Houston, Texas. My home gym is Misfit, Misfit Strength and Conditioning. Uh, I'm also affiliated with uh, another gym in Salt Lake City called Jim Jones. And I just worked on their first ever OCR program. And we have that live on their website. And my first ever ultra was one year ago in Hawaii. Awesome. Cool. And, uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like anybody's running in Hawaii right now with, uh, with the hurricane coming through. So they're going to hopefully be able to reschedule something. Or I don't know exactly what they're going to do. But that's kind of a bummer. Um, but a- we venue out there it's it's a shame that they're not going to have it yeah yeah absolutely but you know you got to stay safe too and um watch out for everybody so uh we unfortunately didn't get to meet up we were talking a lot last year in hawaii my wife and i were out there we did the um the trifecta weekend you took it a step further you actually did the ultra trifecta weekend and added the super and sprint which is crazy but awesome yeah the original plan actually was to do the trifecta weekend and I was signed up for that and everything. And I was just doing more research. I was uh, actually, I went on the painted warriors website and uh, it was a blog that he wrote for the Hawaii ultra that ultimately made me decide, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. So just went on there, uh, deferred to the beast, uh, registered for the ultra and, Zen game right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, and uh, and you did pretty well too. So you ran elite. Yes. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but you finished thirty second. Yes. Which is right. awesome in in a ultra elite first one right out of the gate when you kind of last minute signed up for it. Well, it was it wasn't last minute. It was uh, I signed up and I think I was signed up for about a week and okay, February I believe. Okay. When I actually so decided. Has- Okay. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, so you, you have some experience in this. And, um, so on top of being a coach, you've done this yourself. So I want to dig in a little bit and talk about some things to help, help our listeners who want to run an ultra beast. So let's start with some logistics. Let's talk about just what, what do we expect if, you know, you've never done an ultra beast, what can I plan for, for that, that, uh, event, um, from the morning of and, and during the race plan for a full day of movement. Okay. No matter what, uh, one thing I, I tell people is when you do something of this caliper, you need to be able to move all day. So some of your training days, you're going to want to be on your feet for eight plus hours. Maybe you might not work out. I mean, just walk around, try and get at least 30,000 steps quite a few times. Uh, that, that right there is probably the biggest thing. Okay. So just the time on the feet, getting used to that and I'm on the oh, feet. Definitely. Okay. That, that's, that's the number one thing that's going to kill you. If you're not used to being on your feet for that long, that it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. So let's, let's go through um, morning of. So wake up, we get to the venue. Is anything going to be different? Like registering, getting your, your, uh, your gear? Is it all pretty much the same as a normal race? They have you registered the night before. Okay. 
the open house. Uh, they did that in Breck this year to uh, you, you go and you register the day before. So you actually have your packet, your timing chip, and they even give you a, uh, uh, what's it called? a penny to wear. Okay. Distinguish you as an ultra beast. Awesome. Awesome. Last year was green. This year is purple and the purple really helps you stand out. Yeah. Yeah. So all the volunteers know and other racers know who's, who's out there just destroying themselves. As an ultra, you have, you have those time hacks that you have to meet. So you have to be out of transition area by this time. And then they have a few obstacles or water station where you have to be past this point by this time or else they'll cut your chip. Yep. And do they pull you off or they're just, uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't know, know if you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they, they said last year that there was going to be somebody there cutting your chip and then you'd be riding in the back of a truck, but truthfully, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's glad that you didn't have to find out either. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, one big thing, and I know I've gotten this question before, so it, the ultra is going to essentially be two laps of the beast. There might be some surprises in there, but, um, you know, just, uh, essentially that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, so let's talk about the transition. So you, first off, let's say you get there in the morning, you need to be prepared for that. So what, what types of things should you be thinking about? And you can share what, what you would include in your, in your box for, for your transition area. So what I do is I just, I just go to Lowe's, buy a regular bucket. Uh, last year, I bought the bucket before I went to Hawaii because then we were going to get there a little on the late side. And uh, actually, I decorated my bucket. I had people write motivational quotes on it of my clients and friends and family. And that really helped me kind of move along. In the bucket, you're going to have some food, some extra gear. I had an extra hydration pack. And I had cliff bars, energy blocks, peanut butter, and bananas. Okay. Now, I didn't eat all that. Mm-hmm. as i'm moving uh i found this out dude doing my first ultra when i got to transition i wasn't hungry at all mm-hmm. i tried to eat a banana and i it just made me feel sick <laughs> I, I didn't see that one coming yeah yeah throughout the whole day i maybe ate two of those justin's packet of almond butter mm-hmm. and two things of cliff energy box that was it. Wow. Yeah, and that's so, got to get you through, uh, you know, 25 to 30 miles. Yeah. And I, I thought I would want to eat more. And I just, every time I ate one of those blocks, I just, it was screwing with my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. And, but this time, this last time in Breck, I was able to eat a little bit more. I was actually able to stomach a whole banana, uh, eat a few extra packets of almond butter. And I think I ate three things of the cliff energy blocks. Okay. Do you think that was from experience or different venue, different environments? In the venue, because Hawaii was, if you remember, Hawaii was really hot and humid. Mm-hmm. When you're outside, you're hot and humid, you, you don't want to eat a lot of calories because your body is using a lot of calories, energy to actually cool itself off. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's why I couldn't eat, but I, I'm not really 100% sure. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense though. So, um, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second, but let's, let's actually go back to, um, your, your, uh, your transition areas. So, uh, a couple of things, I, I think you brought up a good point. You didn't eat everything in there, but obviously it's better to have more than not enough if just in case. So that, that is correct. Um, yeah. I have, 
I have my bladder full of water, another one, so I can go in there and grab it and get moving. Because when you're in the transition, you're risking a few things. When you're not moving, you're risking cramps for the main thing and overeating. Yeah. That's another thing. I saw in Breck, a guy had two, two sandwiches. It was ham, cheese, and honey, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it sounds disgusting, but he, it, it works worked for him. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's everything. We're all different. So this is something you got to figure out before you, you don't want to have a ham and cheese sandwich for the first time in the middle of a run and have it be your race day, you know, or something like that. So yeah. And everything um, that I ate are things that I, uh, pre pre race, like whether it be a super sprint or a beast. So I knew my body would be able to handle that. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. One way I practiced that. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, you mentioned you had an extra camelback in there. Um, do you, so do you recommend maybe having one preloaded versus just refilling the, uh, the second one? Is it, was it more just like a just in case thing or what were your thoughts behind that? Having another one and have it fully stocked. Okay. The night before I put my camelbacks out, put them in the backpacks and put everything exactly Two shop locks for each, a banana in each and even an extra banana in the drop bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin's almond butter. So I, had, they were exactly the same. So when I got to the venue in the morning, all I had to do was grab them, put it on. I was good to go. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned uh, having a fast, fast trend, uh, fast transition. So you talked about some things going wrong, um, but we do want some some time to to get ready. So. One, what do you think a, a decent transition time would be? And I go, I know this will depend on the person, but just what does fast mean, I guess, is what I'm asking. And maybe what are some things that you would recommend doing in your transition? So fast for me would be five, five minutes. Okay. I, for me personally, that, that's it. Five minutes. Okay. Uh, get a little stretch in. Maybe grab some extra water. Uh, and then that's one thing, and uh, I know we'll hit later on uh, hydration during an ultra. Eat first. Mm-hmm. If you want to eat, do that first. Okay. And know the first mile or two, you may not want to run that first mile or two. You may just want to take that as a nice, slow walk because you're you're racing against the clock. You don't want to DNF. You don't want to get your chip cut. So best thing to do is eat, restock, stretch. Stretch it before actually you restock. So yeah, you yeah. Restock. <laughs> Get moving. Awesome. And did you do any like um, like foam rolling? Did you have a roller? Did did uh, I know in Hawaii it's hard to travel with all this stuff? But softball. Softball. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, softball. And I hit actually, I didn't hit anything in Hawaii, but in Breckenridge, I did pull that out for a second and hit my right hamstring. Okay. It was getting kind of tight. Uh, when you do go to get your transition, one of the best things is actually, if you know your hamstrings are tight, get a twofer in, stand up, keep your legs straight, and bend over. Mm-hmm. You get a nice little stretch right there. Get a nice little twofer. Nice, nice, perfect. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, and uh, you, so I forgot to mention, but you wrote a nice little write-up on on your whole experience about this weekend, from the ultra to the super and the sprint. And um, I'm going to put a link to that article in the show notes for this episode. Uh, one thing you talked about, and I'd like to get your, you know, further thoughts on it were like changing socks or maybe changing shoes. 
So obviously things are going to get muddy, wet, depending on the venue and things like that. So, you know, what, what are your opinions on that? Like, should you throw maybe an extra pair of shoes in their socks, anything like that, or just it's getting wet, so just go with it? For me, I'm getting wet. Just go with it. Yeah. Uh, some people do switch their socks and their shoes on there. Feel great, feel like a new person, go along. You know, first mile or two, they're going to get you wet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do remember that race. It was, I don't even think a mile before you were in the water, but um, yeah. Okay. Like yeah. It was within the first mile. Uh, yeah. We were water yeah and pretty much swimming so uh but yeah and, and i can see both sides of it where I, I get it like you you put new new socks on they're dry new shoes maybe even just mentally but sometimes you like you said you, you feel refreshed and uh we're gonna get into a second the mind games that play with you during something like this and any you know i can see any advantage towards uh feeling better is, is a good thing so but i guess you know yeah that, that, that's so yeah I'm, and you should probably do that in your practice too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do do a switch of your shoes in the middle of, your, of practice. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that's a, a good theme to follow is an ultra beast. I mean, a beast for that matter is going to bring out a lot of, of uh, challenges, uh, issues. It's going to exaggerate. Like if you have a little tiny acre pain at the start of a race, it's going to multiply by a thousand, you know, and, so um i'll explain some mentalities that i I went through but yeah 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 i mean let's well let's jump into that because that that's such a big point and pretty much everybody that i've spoken with talks about the mental side of this and obviously that's a harder thing and maybe not a harder thing to train but it's not something that you don't just go to the gym and 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 train it like you do your muscles right it's it is a little bit different so uh in that article that you wrote you one thing you said is you kind of list out things for people to consider when they're planning on doing an ultra beast one of those points you made was you're you're going to want to quit at some point so um i think that's a fair enough statement to say but what what do we do about that because we're going to have those negative thoughts creep in so maybe share some of your strategies on to get past something like that so one thing that's pretty big in my life is is music so I, there are some songs that I listen to a lot. So they, they get stuck in my head and they just, they help me keep going. That that's one thing uh, I used in Breck this past time to help. And I, I think it helped me for probably about 30 minutes. I think I was replaying the same song over and over in my head and mm-hmm. the last 30 minutes went by. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, no problem. But it's a good point. Like sometimes just ignoring it. Right. And, uh, thinking of some, some distraction and, uh, you know, a lot of times it's like, they'll say when you, uh, you know, have a good experience or a good moment, like just smelling something. And then if, you know, something very unique, and then whenever you smell that, whatever it is kind of takes you back to that. I'm sure music can have a similar thing where it's like, well, I'm in the zone when I hear this song and I want to run through a wall. So when I'm tired, if I can get this song going, I'm, I'm ready to take on anything. Yeah, that, that exactly. Yeah. Uh, another one too is, and I'm, I may sound a little vain for saying this, but actually social media. Mm-hmm. So you, we put things on social media saying, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go do this or, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go do that. You know, how does it look when you put down, Oh, I, I DNF because I just didn't want to go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't look good. So that's, I know it's vain, but that's one way to help. Uh, friends, family. I put down my, my wife and two of the trainers I work with down. I put them on the, on chrono track. Mm-hmm. They get the alert things. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah that's a good idea i mean motivation for me perfect yeah i think uh it's just like anything right when you set a goal if you just kind of tell yourself that goal and never share with anybody when if you fail you're the only one that knows and some people are like whatever i can live with that and some people might not be able to but when you tell other people like hey i'm going to do this and i want you to check in on me and help me out like yeah i i I don't think there's anything wrong with that i don't think it's being vain where it's just like I said, I'm going to do this and I don't want to tell people that I didn't accomplish it. So that, you know, reminding yourself like of the, the big picture you're setting for yourself that, that I'm going to use these things to push through for sure. Uh, I think that could be helpful. Um, and I, I do like, and you, you mentioned this in the article you wrote as well, like how you said you had quotes and uh, from friends and family, motivational things. I think that's an awesome idea. If I, if I do decide to do one of this, I think, you know, sending a message out, hey, if somebody, you know, wants to help me out, Put, write something to inspire me, write something to make me laugh too. Because, yep. you know, when you can like trick yourself, like tell me a joke, tell me something inappropriate that I'm just going to be like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? But there were definitely yeah. some inappropriate jokes on there. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you open it up like in a letter or something, start reading it and then a total mind change there. Somebody bought me the poop emoji, a stress. Oh, emoji. there you go. Yeah, they, yeah. 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 So I had it on the top of my bucket. ultra uh last year and they saw that that was my bucket awesome awesome last year they bought me one of those uh those pop figures Mm -hmm. troopers of ramathorn holding maple syrup oh nice nice (laughs) i saw that it made me laugh and helped me keep going awesome awesome so this is great stuff so uh just to wrap it up here um any any closing thoughts or like big tips? And I know we've gone over another, uh, a bunch of them, but like, what are like your big three or something? Somebody wants to do this for the first time, especially, or maybe they, d- they did not finish their last time. Uh, what are like the big things you would leave somebody with to, to get them so they don't, they get through it the next time. Don't be afraid to take risks. Okay. What do you mean by that? Exactly. Well, for one, just signing up for an ultra. Okay. Online. All right. Yeah. Fair enough a big risk yeah yeah uh, it, i mean i know they can't see me but i weigh 215 pounds i am i have so much muscle i shouldn't be able to go out there and be able to do this but i, I do it anyway yeah yeah uh time on your feet i know i said it okay. earlier yeah very, very important uh time on your feet if you have to walk that whole second lap walk it mm-hmm. uh, i cut the mantra uh, run where I can, walk where I must. Mm-hmm. The, the whole time I'm going. And just honestly, b- believe in yourself. Yeah. If you go into there with any self-doubt, you will not finish. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, Your mind is very powerful. What you believe you can achieve. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Like don't, if you don't think you can do it, don't, don't sign up, right? If you're going to sign up, you, you better believe that you can do something like this. Otherwise, why, why are you signing up for this? You know, even if it's a long shot, you believe that you can, you can get through it, obviously put in the time, put in the training. This isn't something that you can just walk up to and go do, um, and expect to finish, but, um, that's great, great tips there. Yeah. And, and being nervous is okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the day before, uh, the race, I was, uh, for Breckenridge, I was very nervous. Mm-hmm. I'm at sea level. I'm going up. Our start was 9,600 feet up. <laughs> and we only went up for there. My nerves were on fire so much. I actually, I was having trouble eating all mm-hmm. day. I had to force feed myself to eat. <laughs> oh. 
So being nervous is okay. I, I don't if I ever get to an OCR event and I'm not nervous, that's probably gonna be my last OCR event because that just means my heart just isn't in it. Yeah, exactly. You just don't care. Yeah. So perfect. Awesome. Well, if uh, like I said, I'm gonna put your article in the in the show notes for this episode. But if people have more questions, want to reach out to you, where where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, they can reach me on my email, cjwagner79 at gmail.com. Uh, there's also a website, uh, Jim Jones, that's a, a G-Y-M-J-O-N-E-S. Uh, they can find find me on there. Uh, there's also some programs I have. I'm going to be working on some ultra program here pretty soon, which is going to, it's going to take a while because all of my trainings come from my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. So until I get a third ultra under my belt, I, uh, I'm not going to come out with that just yet. Okay, awesome. Cool. And again, I'll, I'll put some links into to the show notes so people uh, can can check all that out. But thank you so much for coming on here and, and sharing some of your insight. Thank you for having me. So I am here with Mike King from King's Camp and Fitness. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing well, Mike. How about yourself? Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining me on this special episode. Uh, we're going to be talking all about the ultra. But uh, first, for uh, so you were on our, our podcast, uh, episode 14, I believe. So it was a little while ago. Great to have you back on. Always and, a pleasure. Yeah. So uh, just in case, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to our original interview. But uh, for those that haven't listened to that one yet, just uh, let our listeners know a little bit about, about you. Yeah, so uh, as, as you mentioned, the owner and founder of King's Camps and Fitness, we're an obstacle training facility, one of the first in the country, um, started a little about 2013, and uh, one of our main mottos is to, one, overcome your obstacles and train for the race, not at the race, and so we have an entire facility where we build all the obstacles and train our athletes on the obstacles to get them most prepped for um, the event, um, uh, certified personal trainer, SGX, SOS, all those different things. Um, and having a Slayer pro team that travels the country and races. So uh, we've got our handle on uh, what's going on out there on the race course and uh, just had one of our, our first people just finish their first ultra, um, speaking of ultras, nice. um, the other day. Uh, one of our members who's been coming out and training with us and uh, took that big grab and said, hey, I want to do this. It's one of my goals. And uh, I always love those finish line pictures when people finish ultras because they're <laughs> just so broken down and beaten, but they've got such a huge smile on their face. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so um, and I race, you know, race as well. So I run an elite class, and you know, sometimes in the the age group class now because the uh, masters category is gone. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so obviously you're you're well respected in this in this field, and uh, which is why I had you on the first time and and have you back on now. And uh, like you mentioned, not only are you an, an elite racer yourself, but you're you're coaching all sorts of athletes through these races from beginners to to elite. So uh, I really wanted to get your perspective on some things for for preparing for, like you said, such a big a big challenge of the ultra. So uh, one thing I want to just get started off with. So the last time you were on, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, increasing your longevity in a sport in this sport where this can beat you up. And if you're not careful, it'll spit you right back out and you're not going to last long enough to really enjoy all these different types of races. So when we sign up for something like an ultra, obviously any little issue you might have is probably going to be exaggerated because you're going to be doing a lot more miles, a lot more work, a lot more time on your feet. So let's start with just what are your thoughts, uh, tips maybe on okay, I signed up for an ultra and I don't want to destroy myself in the process. So how, how can I prep for something like this without killing myself? Sure. Um, you know, so I think one of the first things to think about is that registration process and making sure that you're realistic with how far out you're registering for an event. 
So if you're signing up for an ultra a month out, um, unless you've already been training for it, that's going to be a rough go. Um, and you're really going to get yourself into that period where you're doing a lot of miles. You're trying to crank a lot of workouts in. You're trying to basically do what would be done in six months or more um, in a really short period. So that's going to break you up pretty quickly. Um, the other thing, as you mentioned, is um, when you're training, it's really time on feet. So unless you're you know, an ultra runner who's out there trying to you know, uh, beat the elite pack, um, you're really working as a race based on your goals for time on feet. So your workouts don't have to be following your workout buddies doing, you know, four hours in the gym and, you know, 120 miles, a, you know, a week and running, um, that's just going to break you up. So being really smart about how you're training, um, and follow that time on feet. That doesn't mean that you have to be running all the time, weighted hikes, just even hikes in the Hills. A lot of that you'll be doing on course anyhow. And I can talk about that a little bit later, but not beating yourself up. Um, this is this is an endurance event. This is something that's going on over a period of time. So it's not a short sprint. So your training should really be following kind of what you're going to be doing going into these events. And so, you know, don't try to get huge mileage in and don't try ramping up too quickly. And that's usually where you break up. Um, and then following that, really just take care of yourself. You know, um, schedule regular massages, um, do myofascial release, get good mobility and strength uh, stretching going on um, while you're running. And if anything starts to flare up, address it as it flares up. Don't say, hey, you know, that pain that I've got in my foot, it'll go away because, <laughs> with, you know, with the training that goes in for an ultra, it's not likely to go away or get any better. And it might likely stop you from even getting to that starting line. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. And and I think even, you know, in a beast where uh, it's still a, a big challenge, those little things, you know, have a little pain in your foot, your ankle, your your calf, right? It's it just all of a sudden you can't finish the race now. So really, I can only imagine with the ultra beast being one step ahead of everything. So I, I always recommend with everybody like having a good referral system. And I, I don't know if you're the same way, but uh, get, do you have a PT? Do you have a, a massage therapist, an acupuncturist, a chiropractor, you know, what everybody has their different modalities that they feel works for them. But I think having that little network is even more crucial that, uh, and not only waiting or hopefully you're never waiting for pain, but you're doing these things to be proactive. Like it's okay to see a, a, a chiropractor or an acupuncturist or a massage therapist before you're in pain. And that's probably the best way to go. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. In my training, I have massages scheduled on a regular basis. I have chiropractic and ART work schedule on a regular basis. Um, that way I'm never having to chase somebody down, you know, say, Oh my gosh, something's bugging me now. Can I make an appointment? Oh, the appointment's two weeks out. You know, mm -hmm. now I've got to deal with this for two weeks. If they're on a regular basis, you're checking in on a regular basis. You're catching muscle flare ups before they start happening. You know, everything's being addressed as you're going into it. So that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it just made me think a lot of times those professionals will tell you like, you know what, you, you have something going on here. Like, I don't know if this has been know. bothering you, but you better take care of this because uh, this is going to come back and bite you for sure. Yeah. My massage therapist loves to tell me that, uh, yeah, your right shoulder or something's flaring up. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's fine. She digs a finger in. I'm like, no, it's not fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. I believe you. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned one thing right off the bat that I, I, I think I want to uh, bring back around is, you know, how long before a race you sign up? What, and I know this is probably impossible to completely answer, but let's, let me just paint a, a typical situation, I guess. So you have somebody who does some training, maybe they've done the beast, done, they did okay, you know, middle of the pack, and they want to take on an ultra beast. So they, they have some mileage in, they've been doing some training what realistically can you expect should they uh, amount of time should they put in to plan for that ultra beast? 
Yeah, you know, I think kind of on a minimum, you know, if you're someone who's already put in the time for a beast and, you know, done well and that you were, you know, came across that finish line feeling okay, not completely destroyed. I mean, a little broken is, is fine, depending on how you pushed it, <laughs> of course. But uh, as long as you felt successful in that and you reached your goals, you know, I think somewhere, you know, if you're going to take the next step, three, four months is probably about the minimum I would probably recommend for someone who's already got training. I'll reemphasize someone who's already got training, not someone coming off the couch. Mm -hmm. um, anywhere between, you know, six months and three months is probably where you want to be. And again, it just depends on where you are as a seasoned athlete or not. You know, did you do your first beast? Was this the first race you've ever done? And then you're stepping into it or, you know, have you been racing for a year or two, you know, there here and there and then stepping into this beast and then the ultra beast. And then you can shorten that up a little bit longer, you know, a bit more if you've got, you know, more training behind you. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. And I, and I think, yeah, just if you're coming right off the couch and trying to do this, you're, you're in free huge surprise. So uh, hopefully that's nobody out there, but um, uh, this, this is just important to think about, like, if you're going to seriously do this and want to want to give it a great shot at finishing and, and doing the best you can, we need to put that time in. Uh, so you, you touched on a little bit with training and I, you know, time on feed is I think something we're going to repeatedly hear being such an important thing. What, if you kind of had to summarize, what are the keys that we need to consider uh, other than, or maybe different ways you can get time in your feet that is going to go into a training program for the ultra beast? Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, you know, hiking and walking is something that's really completely ignored because it's not considered, Oh, you know, this big, uh, strenuous endeavor. Um, I think a lot of times when people look at things like the ultra beast, they think of it as being a running race, which it can for some athletes, but isn't for everybody. And that's not to say that at certain points you're, you're running the race and then, you know, when things just kind of start going south a little bit on you, you end up walking. And so giving yourself the ability to do that walking. And if you practice the walking, which is uses different muscle groups than the running, that walking and slash hiking is going to be really important. So um, doing things like that um, for your training, just going out instead of a, you know, trying to get a 10 mile run, 15 mile run, whatever run it is, getting a 10, 15 mile hike. And if you want to go ahead and make that a little bit harder, go and throw some weights in a backpack and, and do that. Um, so you have that, you know, that strength training going on while you're getting those hikes in, but it gets you a little bit more prepared, um, and doing things that are a little bit more outside the box. So, you know, if you're, um, a gym athlete, you know, rather than say lifting heavy, <clears throat> something else you can start doing is, um, things like animal flow that, you know, gets the body moving, gets mobility built into the body, gets strength in a different way, but is super, super low impact. Um, and I think something also from a runner's perspective that I think people are getting a little bit more keen on is if you are doing a lot of miles, um, on the running side of things to get your cardio, um, done in other ways, like on a bike or especially in the pool, which are other great ways to really get quote mileage in, so to speak, but getting cardio time or time on your feet or time under pressure taken care of without the impact that running happens to give you. Yeah. And I, I just want to stop you there for a second. Cause I think that's such an important thing that when we see, Hey, I have to go run 30 miles. People start thinking, how am I going to run 30 miles? And it's, there's so many different ways that we can get those miles in or just get that conditioning in, Correct. And, you know, you bring up cross training and that's such an underutilized tool. It's like, sure. If you want to be a better runner, you're going to need to run. But like you said, you're probably not running an ultra beast unless you're one of the few freaks out there that, that can do and, and compete at that level. But if you're just doing this for fun and you want to get through it, not hurt yourself and, and have, you know, as much as an enjoyable time as I guess you can during an ultra beast, these are the things that we want to consider and, and you're going to have to 
look at your workouts, not as just how hard can I push myself, but how can I make myself last as long as possible without destroying my body in the process? Correct. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, at really at no point during an ultra beast, are you pushing yourself as hard as you can? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. you're, you're not doing, um, you know, some, you know, massive AMRAP or something else that's going to kill you um, in 15 minutes. You've got multiple hours on the course. And so that doesn't simulate what you're doing in some of your gym workouts. So, you know, follow what you're going to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, since you, you mentioned the gym, how about a uh, where, where would a strength program come into this or is it not as important or just what are your thoughts on that, that part of the training? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it comes in, in handy quite a bit, right? So you need all those muscles, um, for all the repetitive work you're going to be doing. Um, there's, I haven't seen an ultra beast that's flat. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're all on the Hills. There's multiple carries. Um, and you know, remember you're doing the obstacles multiple times on your second lap. So, you know, if you don't know that you can climb a wall, if you can climb a wall one time, that's great. But what happens when there's, you know, four or five, eight foot walls across the entire course, mm -hmm. um, you need to know that you have the ability to do that. And so your strength training is going to give you both, you know, the leg, leg strength to go ahead and climb those hills, you know, the, the muscular strength, thoracic spine strength, arm strength to go ahead and carry things like buckets and bags multiple times, get yourself up rope climbs, you know, so repetitive stuff. So if you don't have that, um, you're not going to have the strength to go ahead and do the obstacles and or climb the hills. And you, you need the cross training anyhow, from the running perspective, you need to be working on muscle groups um, outside the norm, especially when running on trails. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, let's, let's switch gears a little bit to the other side of training that we have to focus on and, and a little bit with, with fueling and nutrition, nutrition and hydration. So obviously this could be an hour long discussion. Um, but we're going to, we're going to summarize everything for our, our listeners here. What are at least some things to consider when, when talking about fueling for an ultra? Yeah. So, you know, aside from going into all the details about, you know, what macros you should be having, what and when and where, um, you know, the thing that I always kind of start with is the two different sides of things, both the hydration side and the fueling side. And so one, um, all of this needs to be thought of as practice, practice, practice. So while you're doing these longer time on feet, um, workouts, this is the perfect time to start testing your fuels, whatever it is that you've chosen. So, you know, don't go ahead and put yourself in one category by using only gels or goos or liquid fuel and stuff like that. Um, start work finding out where things like real food starts to play in and how your digestive system works with that. You know, your friend can say, Hey, you know, I love product X and this does great for me. It might not do good for you at all. And it might do good for you till mile, mile five, but you start taking that at mile 12 and all of a sudden your gut is completely destroyed by it and you're spending more time in the bathroom or cramping up on the side of the course than anything else. Um, so test, test, test. Um, same thing goes with hydration. Um, you know, remember hydration is not drinking a thousand gallons of water before or during the event. It's properly um, adding electrolytes to that balance so that you're hydrating properly and that your muscles can go ahead and use the electrolytes that are, are given to it. So make sure that you're testing that along the way, you know, how much hydration do you need before say your long test runs? Um, you know, what's the balance? How much do you need while you're on the course? And so all those things are really important to know before you go into the race. Um, because you really don't want to be sitting on the side of the course looking for the next porta potty that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I know one thing that I'm always considering and you know, my longest race is uh, uh, the beast so far. And, um, with things like gels, like I'm totally fine for a little while, but even in that, and you know, I say that short of a race, but compared to an ultra, uh, it's significantly shorter. My, it's not necessarily my stomach's the problem, but I just can't consume that many gels. So I have to alternate between different types of, you know, even just 
throwing in a block or, or applesauce or something else yep. because just that taste in my mouth, it, it's, you know, just making me nauseous and uh, affecting my performance. So that's something to consider too. Like you might, like you said, you might be totally fine with, with gels, but can you do that for 10 hours or, you know, or, or longer, however long it's going to take you to complete this without a doubt, that's a big issue. Yeah. And you know, a lot of things that people don't recognize for longer events like this is really your desire to eat. You know, after a certain mileage, you really don't feel like eating. And that becomes the other side of the problem it starts to become the mental side is when you don't have proper fueling in your system, then nothing's working right. You don't really have the strength. And then you start getting slowed down and you're like, oh, I can't do this. Then the, the emotional side starts to pick up. And so, you know, you need to kind of have a plan to say, hey, you know, I need to be consuming a certain amount of calories in a period of time. And even if I don't feel like eating those calories, you know, even those gels don't sound good, I'm going to resort to my second food, which happens to be, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or, you know, something else that might, like you said, taste somewhat okay, but know that you're having to get that food in whether you want it or not. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you go 10 miles and you're feeling perfectly and then you get to, you know, mile 14, you're three quarters of the way into this race and you're like, I don't, yeah, I haven't felt like eating for the last five miles. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. And you get to like... <laughs> three miles before the finish line, you can barely walk, you know, you're kind of spinning a little bit, your stomach's growling, you, mentally, you can't even like take the next step, which is where a lot of people get, you don't want to get there. So you want a variety of food and you want to know going into the race, what your body's going to do and how you're going to feel. So test, test, test. Awesome. Well, so let's keep with that. Um, you know, one thing you, you said before we started uh, recording, actually, that is uh, uh, obvious, but incredibly true. And, you know, starting is easy, right? It's yep. e easy. Yep. To, to sign up. It's easy to, to get to that start line and, you know, maybe easier for some people than others. But once you get going, there's going to be a point where you don't want to finish. And if you're not paying attention to the mental side of this, you're, you're going to be in for a very long race. And I, I don't know, maybe you have some tips that you, you personally use or, or use with your clients on, you know, how do we prepare for some of those negative, uh, uh, negative self-talk that's going to start popping up as we get into this race? Yeah. Um, yeah. So our, one of our things we talk about is that starting is easy and finishing is hard, right? So starting across the starting line is real easy. Getting across the finish line is the hard part. That's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and everybody deals with these kind of emotional stresses a little bit differently. Um, you know, going into it, knowing what your goals are, knowing where your fallbacks are, you know, knowing that you're going to, if you're not running the whole race and you're going to fall back to walking, that that's okay, right? Um, kind of knowing where your timelines are so that you have those goals and you're meeting them. But when things start to really kind of go south, um, you know, you need to have that positive attitude no matter what's going on, right? So if you start to get out of that positive attitude, you need to learn how to get out of that funk. And so that's a little bit different for everybody. Um, sometimes it's talking to somebody on the trail, you know, someone who's got that good attitude. You're like, just look over and be like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Nice job, man. You're doing great. And they'll talk back to you, you know, as everybody is in the Spartan community. And maybe now you've got a buddy. And so you're no longer thinking about how horrible you're feeling. You're talking to this buddy and you guys are forming a relationship. It can be anybody. You can be doing it for multiple people along the course just to kind of keep yourself going, keep yourself talking. Um, if you're doing it with a friend, they're a great person or a source of keeping yourself motivated. Um, and other rewards that you set up beforehand, you know, um, is food a reward, right? Have you packed along with food? I pack in gummy bears. That's my little, little sweet treat that I don't ever eat on a normal basis, but they're good. They're pure sugar. That sugar is going to go ahead and get, light you up real fast. Um, and I like them. They're kind of fun. I'll sit there on the course and I'll kind of chew a head off or something. It's just <laughs> kind of this 
thing to kind of keep spirits as light as possible. So you might have, you know, something, a piece of chocolate or something little to kind of keep you motivated. Food is a huge thing to get your mind out of different funks. Um, and other rewards, um, you know, maybe you tell yourself, hey, you know, if I finish this ultra, then I'm going to, I don't know, sign up for that vacation I wanted or su- schedule a massage after this. And I'm not going to let myself have it unless I've done it. So that's going to be a, like a reward system that's going to keep you pushing a little bit farther. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of the mental escapes. You know, you kind of get out there and you're, you're dying. Then just turn, kind of turn it off. Get yourself out of that situation. Think of maybe the last time you're out on a beach um, the last really good vacation, uh, if you did a mountain bike ride or something, something that's enjoyable, relaxing, that can get your mind out of where you're at and at least give you a little reprieve. And then you can kind of check back in and be like, okay, ah, I'm a little bit more relaxed and go back at it again. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what you gave were a lot of examples of basically distracting yourself, you know, cause a lot, of, a lot of time, you know, obviously the pain that you're feeling is physical, but sometimes that brain is telling us it's, you know, we need to give up when our body can really go for longer, but our brain is just like, you're not supposed to do this to your body and you should stop. But having those distractions, whether it's something you enjoy like gummy bears or candy or, or that person that you see going next to you and it just starting to talk to them and you're going to help each other out. And I think uh, anytime you can distract yourself from that pain you're feeling right now, it's, it's going to help extend that, um, that drive you have so much more. Yeah. You know, and, you know, a couple other things, you know, always remember, uh, moving is moving, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, can't beat yourself up if you're continually taking one step in front of the other. Um, that makes a huge difference. And just know that, um, that if you're continually walking versus sitting on the side of the course, that you're still moving, you're still making progress towards the finish line. Um, and if you do have a coach, you know, a coach is another huge motivator, you know, not wanting to let your coach down. If your coach is on site, you know, seeing, um, I'm usually on site with a lot of our ultra, uh, athletes, and if I am, you know, I'll be at the gear check when they drop in and mm-hmm. see where they're at, assess where they're at and see whether or not I need to be at different points on the course to go ahead and motivate them across. Um, you know, so having that coach and, and knowing that, you know, you're going to go ahead and, and reward them for all their hard work by making sure you get through this and keeping that in mind, that also is a huge motivator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one last thing that I wanted to uh, talk about with you that, again, you, you brought up before we started recording, but I think would be very valuable for our listeners to consider was uh, our, their time and time hacks. So let's, let's talk about uh, some experience you had with that and just how we need to be aware of, of our cutoffs. Yeah. So if you don't know, um, the race does have cutoffs, all ultras, ultras, both in the Spartan world and ultras in general, as far as running races, all have time hacks. Um, there's certain points at which they'll pull you off the course. And these a lot of times don't get published until really late on in the event. So, um, you know, if you start to follow some forms, you'll start to get ideas kind of where they're at. But what they'll say is that there's a series of obstacles towards the end, usually, you know, somewhere about uh, uh, three quarters of the way in and then staggered from there where they'll say, hey, you have to be at this obstacle by this time. And if you're not, we'll pull you off the course. And those typically are considered DNFs, did not finish. So you definitely don't want to be wrapped up in that. And so you kind of need to know, what your lap time was on the first lap and what that's going to start to look like on the second lap, because obviously it's going to start to deteriorate a little bit. Um, we like it to be faster, but it's not usually faster. And so know basically on your first lap, you know, kind of where you're at and don't let other people on the course dictate. A lot of times um, ultras and beasts are done at the same time. So if there's someone running next to you, who's doing their beast, they may have six hours to do one lap. And if you do your first lap in six hours, that's going to be a 12 hour, or more race and you don't have that much time. Mm -hmm. So don't get caught up into that group and pacing yourself off of them. 
And so know what your plan is for your lap times. So, you know, four hours for the first lap, four hours for the second gives you a total of eight, you know, an hour, maybe two of, of that falling apart, really fast gear checks. But the other part of that is knowing where those hacks are and know that those hacks can move. So if they say you need to be at obstacle X at seven o'clock, know that based on course conditions, you know, rain coming in, a thunderstorm, you know, Tahoe had huge hack moves um, last year because of the snow that came in. Um, they start to move those time hacks back. And so if you really want to stay in the event, you need to start talking to people on your second lap and say, hey, you know, are the time hacks still the same? Has anything changed? Listen to the people on the radio as it's starting to get a little bit later, knowing that those hacks may have moved. You would hate to miss it just because you didn't get that extra little push at the end because you thought the tack was at seven and it moved to 6.30, which mm -hmm. happens quite often. Yeah, I just I think that's such a valuable tip that people can be, be or one, be aware of and just know that, yeah, you can talk to people out there and just see if anything's changed and make sure you stay in that race. And, you know, there, it might be too late and there's nothing you can do about it, depending on where you are and how fast you're moving. But if you just were to miss a cutoff because they changed it, that I'm sure that how devastating that would be to be a few miles from the end, knowing that if I had just pushed a little bit harder, I would have gotten there. No problem. Yeah, it'd be it's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, we took up a lot of your time. You left, you gave us some awesome, uh, valuable information here. Uh, if anybody has questions or just wants to reach out and learn more about you, is there anywhere they can go and, and visit and check you out? Yeah, definitely. They can uh, visit our website, kingscampsandfitness.com or uh, reach me at mike at kingscampsandfitness.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions. We have a Facebook page. I have a pro athlete page as well. Um, it's uh, mikeking999 at Facebook. Uh, it can be followed there. Awesome. Sweet. Well, I will put all that in the show notes for this episode so people can, can check that out. But again, thank you uh, so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Well, I am here with Gary Lombardo. How are you doing today? How are you? Uh, awesome. So you are a level two SGX coach and I'm really excited to get some of your input on Ultra Beast training right now. Uh, but before we dive into it, let our listeners know just a little bit about, about you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Gary Lombardo. As, as you mentioned, I'm a level two uh, SGX coach. I own and operate Ascend Sports Conditioning, which is um, an a coaching organization geared towards um, really endurance athletes. I work one-on-one -on -one with athletes as well as in small group settings. I've uh, been doing it for a long time, 20 years, and uh, really enjoy it and have gotten a lot out of it. So I've worked with lots of uh, OCR athletes over the years as well. Awesome. Awesome. So we're, we're obviously talking about some pretty big endurance needs here. And uh, so I'm really excited to just get different coaches, uh, opinions, strategies, or, you know, any just tips to help our listeners out if they're thinking about training and prepping for, for the ultra beast. Um, so let's just start with what, all right, right off the bat, we know it's longer, but what are some of the differences that we need to consider with an ultra beast? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot, right? I mean, I tend to think of training and when I work with my athletes and, you know, three main pillars, one is physical training, the other is nutrition and, and mental. So those are kind of the three, three legs of the stools, I like to say. Um, so uh, basically what those, those apply no matter what the distance of the race is in terms of ultra beast, I think little things change or in some cases, big things. So on the, on the, physical training front, right? I, I tend to think of um, the three main things that, that are really important for OCR athletes. One is um, running. Uh, the other is, is really working on, on grip strength, skill-specific type training. So um, 
versus other aspects of training as well. Three really the foundation. For ultra, it's, it's for the running piece. And, you know, obviously running running is the main component of any OCR, but particularly with ultra, the main dis, main difference is longer distance, right? So one of the things that um, I like to do with my athletes is, is make sure they're increasing the volume. So intensity is l- less important, but certainly is important. But really, it's about those those bigger long runs. And I like to, to and it's depend upon the athlete, really have them factor in getting up that, that higher mileage, certainly um, over 20-mile runs. I like to, um, when I train for mine and, and the athletes I've worked with, I typically have them run a 26-miler, right? You don't need to run the full 30, but definitely get up there in that higher range. And the other big piece is making sure that hill work is in there, so really working those force skills um, in, in running, which is super critical because most of the ultras are on, on hilly courses. So mm-hmm. integrating that is, is really important. Um, and then otherwise, you know, I think the main difference too, I mean, you know, I mentioned grip work and, and obstacle specific stuff. I think that stuff should go on no matter what, but the main difference to ultras is really, um, building in, um, more high intensity type training that is kind of multi-purpose. So a lot of, um, you know, constantly varied type stuff, whether it's CrossFit or CrossFit like type workouts, I think is critical with a lot of um, heavy emphasis on uh, strength component and barbell work. So I really think that builds up the strength and works out the the grip quite a bit as well. Uh, so that's on the physical front. And, um, you know, I think on the nutrition front, I'm happy to dig in there a little bit. One of the things that I think is really, really critical um, is, is of course, your, your everyday nutrition should continue to, to, uh, to be really great, particularly for, for, uh, ultras and, and periodizing that nutrition as well as critical, which is one of the things I didn't mention in your, your overall physical training. I think periodizing that, that, um, training is, is critical. So your nutrition should mirror that, but more importantly for ultras probably is on race days that, that, um, really having a solid nutrition plan in place. Uh, so knowing exactly the amount of carbs, calories, and milligrams of sodium and fluid that you're going to need for that long haul, uh, and figuring out how you're going to carry all that. So that's probably the biggest difference between, I would say, an ultra and any other distance race. So that that's um, really critical. So sitting down and, and factoring that all out, understanding how you're going to um, carry it in the first loop. You get a second loop where normally there's a, a place where you can, can uh, stash some food and, and getting there and uh, make sure that you have that enough there for the second loop. And also in the from during race day nutrition, I like to include other things for that second loop and that, that transition area, we're able to, to access some food with substances. I like to say, right. So something that's not a gel, not a, 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 a shot block or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So chicken yeah. soups, chicken soups, great. Um, and for me, you know, other yeah, proteins yeah. type things, really something that's filling because the day is long. Typically for most people, it's a 10 plus hour event. So, uh, having some real food in your stomach, I think is critical too. Um, and then, yeah, and that, that third pillar around, uh, mental skills, which I think is really, really important for any OCR athlete. Um, I think for ultras, the main difference is again, on the longer course, being able to, um, you know, train your mind to go to really, to, to stick it out for the longer term. So, you know, you're going to be doing quite a bit of training, obviously, and preparing your mind, um, um, for or applying sort of, um, skills during those long course training runs and other types of training is critical, like having a mantra that really works for you. Uh, I think is critical. Like for me, I like to repeat to myself, you know, it's awesome to be out here today, right? It's a constant reminder, even when you reach that dark place, right? <laughs> Deep yeah, into yeah. the race that you're, you're saying that that becomes super important when you don't think you can go on anymore, being able to do that. Um, and other things that I have my, um, athletes do to prepare mentally is, you know, during long runs, right? Like, 
uh, 20 miles in, you're feeling gassed out in your training run, throw some burpees in, right? You know, train in the rain, seek to seek out hard conditions, train in the cold, train in the heat. Um, that'll toughen up your mind, not just your body, but also your mind uh, to prepare for whatever you're going to get on, on race day. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then finally is, is re- relaxation. I always in- integrate, especially in ultra distance, long events, which can be pretty time consuming and life consuming, mm-hmm. um, really practicing mindfulness. So some level of uh, meditation, I like to do four to five times a week, at least five minutes. There's lots of guided programs out there that, that really work well. So those are the main differences I'd say across those three pillars when, uh, in terms of ultra distance races. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just mentioned some really cool things that I'd like to maybe dig in a little bit deeper. Um, I know we could probably spend a whole podcast, a whole weekend talking about some of these things, but, um, first with, um, mileage, you said, uh, you typically like to see somebody get up to about 26 miles. Uh, and uh, that's what you said, correct? I just want to make sure I heard you right. Yeah, that is, that's, that's right. Very fun athlete, but in general, yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And so, and I think that's, you know, we never know the exact distance, but I think we can usually assume around a 30 mile race is what we can expect. And I know some people tend to think like, well, that means I have to train for 30 miles. And I know this can be debated either way, but I, you know, a lot can go wrong when you're running 30 miles and the amount of time to build up to that distance is pretty pretty intense and time consuming. So, um, I just think that's a good, I just really want to reiterate that point that you're, you're not building up to 30 miles, but you're getting pretty close. Um, and then, uh, one thing I did want to ask you, uh, in general, how that long run that you're going to throw in there, how far away from the race would you typically throw that in there? Yeah, no, that's great. And that's a good question. So, so typically there's a, for an ultra, I like to have, um, or any long distance endurance event, that's going to be 10 to 10 hours plus, including Ironman athletes that I train mm-hmm. always have a two to three, um, depending upon the experience of the athlete, two okay. to three week would, you know, taper period. Right. So, um, so that 26, if you're a more experienced athlete, probably more of a, a two week, um, if you're less experienced and I think for the vast majority of athletes it would be like a three week taper period where you're really cutting that volume down. So that last big run, for instance, could be a 26 mile run on at the end of the week, um, say on a Sunday, the weekend, and then the following week, you know, drop your volume by uh, 50% the following week, drop it by another 50% and then race week, it's a three week taper should probably be like a couple hours of training plus the, the actual race itself. So, um, yeah, there's always a, a time period. We need to give your body uh, a period to recover right before that race. Perfect. Perfect. Um, uh, one thing you mentioned too, with your nutrition and, uh, there's some great stuff in there. I know, like you said, having a kind of your secondary food, I forget exactly how you put it, but not consuming gels for 10 hours would Correct. be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think chicken soup, you know, I haven't really thought about that, but that is a, a great thing to have in there. Maybe like bone broth or, you know, that that's a simple thing that you can have there, drink it. It's not super sugary and, uh, you know, leaving that taste in your mouth when the last thing you want is a gel. So I love that idea. Yeah, no, and I, it works for me. I think everybody, again, with any type of nutrition, whether it's gels or chicken broth or whatever it is, you always need to test it out on yeah. you know, in your long runs, make sure you don't have any GI issues. But uh, the athletes I've worked with, I've always had them work through that, figure out what works for you, including the brands that they may work with and gels, et cetera. But yeah, that inserted that your second loop, you'll have a transitionary come to store some some things that you might need. And, uh, one great thing that I like is something that's, like I said, not, 
you know, not a gel, right? Something that's maybe yeah. a little bit more um, protein-based. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, protein doesn't necessarily help improve performance. Um, you know, it's not going to restore your, be used up to fuel yourself, you know, immediately like carbs would. That stated, mm-hmm. a lot of people feel that that gives them a good extra shot of, uh, you know, energy, right? Um, that's, that's something that fills their stomach, gets them through the race and has worked well. Plus the salt content in chicken broth, I find is, is awesome. Not to mention the fluids. So yeah, all yeah, extremely awesome. helpful. Perfect. I love that idea. Uh, well, one other thing you mentioned that I think is worth touching on, at least briefly, is you mentioned periodized nutrition. So I think most listeners will understand uh, in terms of a training program, kind of building up to that race and then having our taper. Uh, but could you just expand a little bit on how to help somebody periodize their nutrition as well? Yeah, for sure. So nutrition, um, just like your, your physical training, should, should follow the concept of periodization from a nutrition standpoint. It's really thinking about um, the uh, on a daily basis. What you know, basically, how how hard are you working that particular day? Is it a high high you know hard workout, a moderate day, a light day, right? So you want to be able to um, uh, eat accordingly, right? So to speak. Mm-hmm. So if it's a lighter day, you got your macros, right? Your number of fats, proteins, and carbs are going to be you know a certain ratio. And then if it's a harder day, they're going to be another ratio, right? A, mm-hmm. a lot higher. So I think it's important and that, that will be on a daily basis, but also over the course of your training. So if you're in a base period, let's say with your physical training, you're, you probably should be in an equivalent type of base period for nutrition. And same thing as you start to build up uh, your physical training, you're in a build phase, let's say your nutrition should reflect that as well. So it's not just on a daily basis, but it's also on the the, the period that you're actually in, ensuring that that's all mapped out accordingly. So that comes back to, you know, the, the point of having a plan, right? Like, I think it's important <laughs> for any athlete to have a plan, you know, what, what usually one year out, what's, what does your season look like? It's super important for ultra athletes to have that because they really need to be thinking about, okay, what is, how am I going to get there? And typically advise ultra athletes to be planning, again, dependent upon experience, six to 12 months out, less experience, 12 months out more experience, probably six months out, really thinking about what does your physical training look like? What does the nutrition look like? What is your mental plan for that? So having that all nicely mapped out into the different periods and, uh, and then you, you periodize accordingly, both your physical training and nutrition based off yeah. of that. And a good coach, uh, that's, I work with athletes in doing that and a good coach can, can help guide you through that. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and I think that it's uh, a very simple thing that anybody can do, at least have the big picture out there. And obviously, a coach is going to help you narrow it in and, and really dial in what specifically you need. But even, you know, if you're not working with a coach, it's obviously highly recommended, but it's something at least to consider planning out your your year, your season, however you want to break it down, your, you know, in season, off season, you know, pick your, your big races, working backwards. And I, I like that you gave some recommendations too on, well, realistically, what can we expect? Because that's, you know, if we're looking at the ultra beast, this better be something that you're planning. Because if you like, just think one day, like, I'm going to sign up for this one next month. Like, this is where you get your, you know, did not finish or injury or whatever it might be, because you just took on something that really, you know, you might be a freak of nature and, and can do something like that. But I think the majority of they're in for a lot of trouble when they just take on this huge bite, and there's just no way they're going to be able to chew it down. Um, Correct. Yeah, I think I think that's a super important point for for sure. Just have have a plan to get there and execute to that plan. Don't just jump into it. Um, I know it's easy to to say, hey, I'm just gonna just wing it. You know, I do CrossFit three times a week, or or I've done the sprint, you know, Spartan sprint before, and I'm good and I got through it. But 
um, you know, I think for ultras are sort of a different, different level of, uh, uh, of, of intensity and, and distance. So it definitely requires a little bit more. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that you, you kind of mentioned earlier, going back to the physical side of it, we have our, um, our running that obviously you said one of the things is you do drop down on intensity a little bit and, uh, but cause you're increasing the volume so much. Uh, so, but you also mentioned with your strength training, you're doing more of the intense stuff. And is that typically how you would kind of recommend? Cause I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting to is one of the big considerations with training for something like this is, I, I believe is injury prevention because so many things can go wrong mm-hmm. when you're putting mm-hmm. in this amount of work. So, um, is that kind of fair to say like a good, I, I know it's really hard to generalize, but with the running, because we are putting so many miles in there, lots of volume, Mm -hmm. the intensity doesn't necessarily have to be all out every single time. But if you need a little bit of that intensity work to kind of prep for the obstacles, that's where our strength workouts or CrossFit style or, you know, something along those style of workouts could come in. Yeah, for sure. So, so let me, let me clarify a little bit what I meant on that. So strength training, for instance, and I usually have my athletes work on the big lifts. So really the, you know, anything pressing overhead, the, the bench press, the, the deadlifts and back squats. So anything that works posterior chain, which is really important for, for any athlete, but particularly ultra athletes. So that occurs, I put them on a strength training program during the base period, typically early on. So usually it's a 12 to 16 week period that, that happens earlier on that will then sort of revert into a maintenance mode during that time. I'll go ahead and have them be doing uh, a CrossFit type workout and, you know, just call it high intensity functional movements that are constantly okay. varied, right? The hit, yeah. hit program, whether it's CrossFit or another, they're doing something that's going to be uh, very much related to OCR, right? So it's not going to necessarily be all barbell work or, um, you know, Olympic lifting. Of course, some of that will be mixed in, but it'll be high intensity work. That's going to be um, help them really um, improve their endurance. So that's the main point of it is that the high intensity has a, has a huge impact on their capacity to um, tax their oxidative system, right? Which fuels their, their long-term endurance overall. So it has a huge impact. And, and I've sort of um, observed that over the years and working with a variety of different athletes that, you know, comparing them once you've done the high intensity versus ones who haven't have always had uh, more success. And that's again, me generalizing, but, mm-hmm. but that's typically been the case. So it is important to your point though, that um, running, yes, it's high impact on the body. Um, and then you're out in this high intensity, you know, uh, type of workout. Um, I think I view them as complementary, and you need to be really, um, be re- really cautious and careful with the athlete, right. So that you're, you're, um, ensuring that they're, they're not going to injure themselves, but taxing their, their body enough to sort of, um, improve the, uh, or get the benefits that they really need to get out of that. So in the later season, however, as we get closer to the race, the volume builds up bigger, longer runs, um, we start to see a decrease in those higher intensity type of, of workouts. Mm-hmm. So it'll become fewer of them, right? And maybe they become a little bit more um, endurance-based, uh, uh, less high intensity, a little bit more moderate intensity in their, their load. So it, it really, it's, you shouldn't be, to your point, going, um, you know, all, all hard, hard out, right? With all mm-hmm. of your running, like all of your strength, like it's, it's you, you're going to just kill yourself. I think you really need to be really careful. One of the goals, you know, start with your goals, right? And one of the goals I always have my athletes in there, no matter what, they have no choice. I say, you're going to be injury free, right? Yeah. Avoid injury this year and have fun is the other one. <laughs> yeah. Then they'll have some, some other smart based goals in there. 
But those are the two biggest ones, right? So we're always building the plan based around how to make sure they're having fun and they remain injury-free. And um, in getting across that finish line at the ultra, uh, it's super critical that obviously you remain injury-free. You're not always going hard. That's going to potentially result in injury. So, so yeah, that, that's uh, super important. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Two two amazing rules that I think everybody listening should really make their priority, right? Staying injury-free, but having fun at the same time. Um, well, I mean, you've, you've given us a ton of info. Uh, any, any like final things? If you have somebody coming up to you like, hey, I heard about this thing called an ultra beast and thinking about doing one. Uh, what are some just things you kind of recommend or tips or whatever, just to kind of get them uh, off in the right direction? Yeah. So when, when somebody comes to me with that sort of goal, uh, and I've got lots of people that do, lots that come to me with, you know, I want to do an Ironman, I want to do a half Ironman, whatever it may be. I want to go climb this mountain, go on this month long expedition. So anything that's, um, tends to be this huge long event based type thing. Mm-hmm. The first thing I always say to them is, um, uh, make sure that you have the, you have the commitment, right? Like yeah. that is super, super important. You gotta have the passion, you gotta have the commitment, um, that's number one. And you also need to assess how this can impact other aspects of your life, which sort of, you can have the time, right? That's another way to say it. So this commitment and time are super critical. So this will impact other aspects of your life. It doesn't have to, it could, you know, you can strike that balance working with a coach or otherwise, but you got to be realistic around the amount of time that you have to, to give to it. Um, and then the third piece is, you know, how's your health, right? Like how yeah. <laughs> are you able to, are you able to get it, you know, sustain, like put, put that load in your body and make sure you are able to eventually get to that goal. So those are the, the three main things I always say to people, like, I think anyone can do an ultra, anyone mm-hmm. can do an Ironman, any of these long based events, as long as those three things, they can answer positively to those three things. If they can, that's great. Um, so those, that's my, my short answer, my long answer to a short question. Yeah, no, no, I love it. That's, that's absolutely awesome. So um, if, if any of our listeners have any questions or just want to learn more about you, is there any place they can go and uh, reach out for more info? Yeah, check out my website. It's um, ascendsportsconditioning.com. Uh, so it's just the, the URL, ascendsportsconditioning.com. And uh, feel free to you know, email me as well. It's uh, gary at ascendsportsconditioning.com. And uh, happy to give my my phone number too, uh, <laughs> which is seven eight one eight six four one six seven nine. If anyone is interested in uh, in reaching out and having a conversation, awesome, awesome. Well, I'll put all that info in our show notes as well, so people can look it up there. Uh, but thanks so much. Uh, this was awesome. A ton of info that uh, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of. So I really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, thank you. Well, it was just awesome stuff, wasn't it? I, I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, really special thanks to CJ, Mike, and Gary for really helping out with this and really just giving so much of their time and uh, knowledge to, to really help help everybody out when, uh, when prepping for that Ultra Beast. So uh, don't forget to check out the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 54. Check out any links mentioned in the show. And um, yeah, so I... I I, I'm still undecided. Uh, I, I know I'm going to do a beast or an ultra beast. I'm, I'm not sure which one yet, but uh, maybe you guys can help me out and uh, maybe comment on the show notes and let me know what ultra beast 
should I do when I'm when I'm ready to sign up? I'd love to get your guys' take on it for those that have done one and want to throw out some recommendations. I'm, I'm definitely interested to hear all about that. Um, also, one final thing is I, I just wanted to mention that Anne LaRue and I are opening the doors to our brand new mentorship program. Uh, we Starting in October, we're going to be taking people in to help them train, uh, really, especially in the off season with all the big races over to help you prep for next season and really uh, build a solid base with your, your nutrition, your training that you can really progress off of for uh, next race season. So it uh, should be really cool. Uh, you'll work with us plus a, a group of individuals all trying to get better at um, OCR training. And uh, we're going to be doing some fun stuff together, great training tips, and uh, really uh, experimenting with, with your training, with your nutrition to try some new stuff out and see how you respond. Uh, so it should be some fun stuff. If you want to learn more about that, just go to ocrunderground.com mentorship and you can read about it and get started. We have some uh, cool bonuses for those that are going to start uh, right away. Um, first off, the first 20 that join are getting it for just 15 bucks a month, which is pretty much nothing for everything you're getting. Uh, we're also throwing in uh, some really cool surprise bonuses once once you guys sign up and uh, should be fun. So uh, that's it. Until next time, keep training smarter.